The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Boy, oh boy, do we have ourselves a fantastic program for you. Great topics, fantastic guests. We're going to be joined a little bit later by music manager Emily Cameron of global music management firm ATC Management. Super accomplished, has an amazing roster of artists, and I'm sure that's going to mean that she will have some fantastic insights to share with all of us. If you are interested in being informed as an independent creator, this is a great hour to listen to this week, folks. And our co-host this week is going to bring it to, I got to tell you, the positive vibes and just publicity and just feedback that we got. That's the word I'm looking for from our guest two weeks ago. Gideon King was loud and it was clear that you all like you some Gideon King. You thought that he was insightful. You loved his music knowledge. You liked his business background. You liked how he brought all that together. And so, of course, we had to bring him back as a co-host. So joining us this week on the program is our co-host Gideon King is back. Hey, Gideon. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Musician and private investor, entrepreneur, and guy who looks terrific in sunglasses, Gideon King, joining us. Frontman for Gideon King and City Blog, and just all-around knowledgeable dude in music and business. We are happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here, and um, thank you for the intro. I don't know how much of it is true, but thanks for the intro. We try to keep it like 70, 80% true, you know, C-plus student. That's That's better than politics. That's right. Uh, you know, if that was a that was a uh, free throw shooting percentage, that'd be you know right. not great. Totally. But if it was a three point percentage, that you know Hall of Fame level. Right, I agree. Um, so since you're new <clears throat> to the co hosting, I wanted to start things off by giving you a little little show history. So break the business. We've been doing this in one incarnation or another since 2015. We've been around a bit, and there are certain segments that we used to do in the very early years. In the pre-Sirius XM years, in the pre-producer Lauren years, just going all the way back. And I figured, since you're new, since you probably want to learn more about the history of this program, I would dust off a classic, classic Break the Business segment that we have not done in, in at least two presidents. It's been a while. And that is the Music Jerk of the Week segment. Let me see if I still have the imaging for this. <laughs> And now it's time for Ryan's Music Jerk of the Week. Oh, you are just the worst type of person. On the Break the (laughs) Business Podcast. Even my voice sounded more youthful back then. It was a different time. So, yeah, we used to do something called the Music Jerk of the Week, where we would uh, talk about different people or organizations that were just being jerks in the music industry. And in light of recent news, Gideon... I think that we have a new music jerk this week. And that music jerk is music 
concert goers. People going to music concerts lately have been jerks lately. And I'm not saying all of them have, but enough of them have that we have this big problem going on in live touring right now where we used to have this one pandemic, this COVID pandemic, that was keeping us all away from concerts. And now that pandemic is starting to subside and we're going back to concerts, which is great. But now we have a new pandemic that has uh, swept through concerts and it's this uncontrollable urge that music concert goers seem to have for throwing crap at musicians. This is a plague lately, Gideon King. Uh, recently, it was reported that Harry Styles was hit in the eye on stage at a concert in Vienna. And this isn't the first time he's been hit with something. About 10 years ago, he got hit with a shoe at a concert. I think that was at a One Direction concert. Uh, recently, Drake had a phone thrown at him. Bebe Rexa was once hit with a phone as well, and she collapsed on stage. At a recent show in Idaho, Kelsey Ballerini had an object thrown at her and she had to stop her performance. Uh, somebody threw their mother's ashes at pop star Pink recently at one of her shows. A perfect, and, it, was a, it was a perfectly normal thing to do. Oh, yeah. We've I mean, all done that I mean, once or right, twice. That's why I go to concerts, to throw <laughs> just, you know, my nuclear family's ashes at the <laughs> artists. I mean, that, that's, it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, and this is the one that might be worse. At a Lil Nas <laughs> X show earlier this month in Sweden. Oh, the sex toy, yeah. A fan threw a sex toy. Yes, <laughs> you are. You are. You know what's going on here. So, yeah. I, I'm curious, Gideon, as a as a touring musician, as somebody who's played many a live show, and and just someone who I know is just sort of a student of the human condition. Why do you think this is happening lately? Why are so many artists getting crap thrown at them? Okay, so I mean, this is the jerk segment of the week, so. I, I want to I want to be careful not to undermine the extent of the jerkdom, but um, here's what here's what I will here's what I will say. We got we got to we got to classify as we, we you know we classify trees and 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 bugs and and diseases and and um, and all kinds of things. We got to classify this throwing thing, and we got to put it in context. L let me start with the the positives of of fan interaction and artists throwing things at them. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest. There are times when people throw their phone on the stage and Harry Styles or Pink or Emily King or whoever, they, they take it, they do a selfie, they go like this, the two people who threw the phone are in the selfie, and in the background we got the fans, and that is a kind of making love between the artists and the fans. So... Let's start from a good place and say that doesn't fall into the jerkdom category. And then we get this sort of second, you know, the second, I, I, would, I, would, I would say that's category one, which is, again, the making of love between the artists and the fans. Category two is sort of like awkward love, which results in potential injury. It's like, you know, when a seven-year-old wants to make friends with another seven-year-old, he goes over and he hugs him too hard and knocks him over. And everybody says, well, he's just trying to make friends. So the fans want to connect with the artist. And in this kind of awkward, highly charged environment of a concert, they throw something, usually a phone, at the artist. Okay, So now we're sort of crossing over the threshold into jerkdom. And then there is, and then there is the, you know, little Cuddy concert that my son went to, where he went, paid two hundred fifty bucks to see Kanye. Kanye didn't show up, 
what a shot. Oh, this is in Miami. Cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, he shows up, and 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 then little Cuddy, or I don't know what his name Kid is. Kid Cuddy. Whatever, Kid Cuddy. So, right, Kid, right, it's little Wayne. Little, so, Kid Cuddy shows up, and he says, don't throw any more bottles at me. So, of course, fans throw more <laughs> bottles at him. And now we're getting into that level of, like, aggression and like almost full on, I mean, it's almost actionable behavior in terms of like being a misdemeanor rising to the level of aggra aggravated assault in certain states. So I guess what I would say is concerts are this place of kinetic energy. There's all this motion. There's the physics of music pumping out of speakers. There's people moving around, buying, drinking. There's motion. And what, what emanates from motion is love, awkward love and then jerked him and and you know since we're in the jerked him segment um what's going on is that people are trying to somehow express themselves or individuate in that in that ecosystem and they do it they do it stupidly one guy one guy of course said you know this is all about social media and the immediacy of the mm. moment doing anything so so in the in the under the rubric of jerked him um i would say that like social media is a bit of a a catalyst for this because people are taking, you know, their phone. They know people are vide videoing it, and it's their moment. It's their five seconds of fame. So I think we're on a continuum here, and we're in the, you know, we're discussing the jerkdom part. But this continuum that leads to jerkdom starts from a place of genuine fan and and artist lovemaking. If you know what I'm saying, I if do you see where I I'm coming from. Has Gideon King and City Blog ever been on the receiving end of uh, something getting chucked at them? So if someone actually threw something at me that could like hurt me um, and make this nose, you know, even bigger than it already is um, by virtue of injury, I would throw my guitar at them. Okay. Um, but Whoa. I have definitely, I've, I, that would piss me off. Okay. But I have had a lot of fans who do these sort of um, moral or um, energy equivalent of saying things. We went, we played one show and, and there were some people saying some not very nice things about some of the female singers. And I have to say, when a fan undermines the flow and the good vibes, it is like, um, it's very hard to recover. Uh, you play and you're like sort of, um, it's almost like the equivalent of being musically tased. Okay, you feel like you've been tased. You sort of stop and you're like, wait, there's something so elemental about fans, listening, interaction, clapping. And then when that sort of, that, that, that presupposed, you know, cooperation is violently disturbed, it's, man, it was for me anyway, the few times it's happened, it's really hard to like come back. You get a weird nervous feeling for the rest of the show. I wouldn't say unsafe, but certainly unsettled. So it sucks. That's my, that's what I'm trying to say. It sucks. It sucks. And I think it, it speaks to, and we've talked about this before in the context of like why you just shouldn't generally publicly be an a-hole to artists you don't <laughs> right. like on social media. <laughs> right. Because performing, giving your life to artistry, putting your work up for people's evaluation is such an incredible act of courage on its own without anybody being just a jerk in some kind of way. That like it's just generally just a crappy thing to do just to be awful to musicians, even musicians you don't like. If you don't like, keep it to yourself. Right. Lauren, do you have the clip of music host Zane Lowe talking about this scourge of people throwing stuff at musicians? I really was blown away by his perspective on it. I think it captures a lot of what we're talking about here. 
you know, about, I don't know when it was, a couple of months back, I put a TikTok up after someone threw something at Harry Styles. It was like a piece of candy or whatever. And I, I was really pissed about it. Um, people have been trying to get artists' attention from the crowd for a long, long time. As long as artists have been on stage, people want to get closer. They want to be the one that the artist looks at. I get it, right? It's it's all part of the fantasy of it. But um, in recent times, we're just seeing this insane amount of objects being thrown at people who are taking... It's courageous enough to be able to step on stage and sing those songs in front of people they don't know. Would you do it? I'm asking you listening right now, would you do it? I mean, if you don't have a guitar in your hand or you're not sitting in front of a computer making music or maybe you're at college right now and you just listen to this, getting ready to go and do your classes and you're in the creative arts, I'm asking everybody else who buys a ticket to a show, would you do it? Would you go on stage with an instrument or just with your voice and would you sing in front of 20, 30, 40,000 people? Probably not, right? Probably not. Takes courage, takes real vulnerability, and it takes, you know, what I would consider to be a superhero power to go out there and try to make our lives better by performing, right? We buy tickets... Because it makes our life better. It makes us feel less alone. We sing these songs. We take these memories. We share them. And I'm talking to the world right now. Like, really, if you're listening to this, don't switch off. Don't be like, he's in rant mode. Really ask yourself, how many times have you told stories about your favorite shows to your friends? The first time you saw that band or the first time you went to that festival, your greatest festival experience. Or maybe you met your partner at a concert. How many great things come out of this experience? None of that. In that beautiful unofficial contract or trade between human beings, artists, and fans, nothing, nowhere does it say, throw shit. There's no intention. There's no good intention with doing that. There is none. You cannot justify it. I just wanted a selfie. No. I just want you to put on the bracelet. No. Just please actually think, why am I here? What am I here for? What do I want to get out of this? And if the answer is, I'm going to throw something to be the center of attention, don't go. I mean, that just about nails it. I it, Putting your, your work out there, to whether it's 40,000 fans or even just a couple dozen people at a club, and I often say, depending on your situation, sometimes like a couple dozen people at a club can be scarier than 40,000 people because you're, like, you're looking at them right in the eye and you, and you can like, isolate each one and like, to me, that's scarier, but whatever, whatever the situation, that's already hard enough. And when we think about the value that live music has, how it makes us feel, how happy, how you remember your favorite concert for the rest of your life, if we can't control ourselves as music fans, if we keep doing stupid crap like this, our favorite artists are going to stop touring because it's dangerous and we're going to miss out on these experiences. And that it breaks my heart. But Ryan, one question for you. Mm. Doesn't every public get-together have to have rules of engagement? And what I mean by that is, if Harry Styles, if someone throws a huge pair of sunglasses, okay, on the stage, or whatever, and Harry Styles puts it on and dances around with it, okay, which he does, okay, well, I don't know because I haven't been to a Harry Styles concert, but I read that, okay, so maybe I read something wrong, but I assume it's right. The rules of engagement are blurred, like, and, and listen, I'm a billion percent with you. Of course, people shouldn't be throwing things on stage that could be dangerous, that, that disturb the flow of the set. But if the artist at some level is accepting that kind of modality of behavior, at some level, it blurs the lines. And so the only point I'm making, I, you know, I agree with, I agree with that clip. I agree with everything you're saying, but at some level, the rules of engagement may have to be by the artist more 
clearly delineated, clearly set. As Adele said, you know, I think she said, I effing dare you or something. Yeah. I don't know. I read something, right? Right. I effing dare you to do it. There are other people who say, just don't do it. I mean, when I went and saw Bono's one man show where he, you know, recently they, they, they took your cell phones away. And so the rules of engagement, okay, were set. And that's the only point that I'm making to you is that the lines can actually be, the victim can blur the lines inviting the victimhood at some level. But, that's the only thing I'm saying. But doesn't it suck that like Harry Styles even has to make like, or Adele, as, as you put it, the fact that they even have to make that statement to people, yeah. hey, don't throw crap at me while I'm performing. Yeah. I don't come yeah. to your job yeah, and throw sucks. crap at you. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, like I don't, you know, you know, Harry Styles, somebody throws a, a pair of sunglasses and he puts them on to look cool. I don't, you know, I'm not going to like use that as a reason to victim blame him here, right? Like the fact that he went, oh, somebody threw sunglasses on the stage. That sucks, but the show must go on. I'm going to show people that like I'm not going to let it bother me so that I can still put on a good show for my fans. I'm not right. going to like blame him for that and say, hey, you know, you asked for somebody now throwing yeah. a cell phone at you, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but. It's uh, so uh, uh, Daniel Naruto writes in just because it was okay once doesn't mean it's okay every time. Music fans, like we need to, like we need to take the initiative here. Like, right? If an, if a artist tells us don't do it, don't do it. But we should be able to know not to do it to begin with. And so, I would like to provide a little public service announcement. I would like <laughs> I I wanted to put together a little PSA to remind music fans don't throw crap at concerts, but. I, I realized, you know, I'm not the best writer in the world. And so I needed a little bit of help with the script. And so I turned to the AI overlord to help me with this public service announcement for our AI overlord tip of the week. For this week, I asked ChatGPT, our AI overlord, to help me with a little PSA, a public service announcement, to remind music fans of the proper way to act during concerts. So without further ado, here we go. Hi, I'm podcasting's Ryan Carella. In the world of music, there's nothing quite like a hit. Those sweet melodies, thundering bass lines, powerful lyrics that echo in our hearts... But in recent times, a different kind of hit has been making headlines. A hit that's less chart-topping and more artist-stopping. The pop heartthrob Harry Styles, once the receiver of endearing fan letters, now has to dodge endearing fan loafers launched at warp speed. And the ever-cool Drake, who once implored us to call him on his cell phone, probably didn't mean for us to throw said cell phone at his face mid-performance. Just last month, Bebe Rexa was rudely interrupted when a fan decided to throw a smartphone right at her face during her riveting performance. Bebe asked us to take her home, not take her out, folks. And let's not forget about our country darling, Kelsey Ballerini. She just wanted to croon about love and heartache, not dodge a fastball special from the crowd. And then there's Pink. No, we're not talking about her hair or her daring acrobatics. At one of her shows in London, a zealous fan decided to throw her mother's ashes at her. While we all know that Pink is absolutely fire, this isn't quite what we had in mind. And remember our friend Lil Nas X? Well, 
over in Sweden, he was serenaded by an adult toy flying through the air. It seems that some fans took his Montero lyrics a bit too literally. Folks, it seems we've reached a point where we need a reminder. A musical memo, if you will. Concerts are for clapping, not catapulting. They're for dancing, not discus throwing. And they're certainly for singing along, not slinging accessories. So here's a new trend for you. Tweet, Snap, TikTok, or whatever platform you're into. Hashtag Stop the Drop. Show your love, not your arm strength. Keep the hits on the charts, not on the artists. Remember, fans, hashtag Stop the Drop. Because we all know that the only things that should be hitting at concerts are the beats, the moves, and the high notes. This has been a public service announcement from the Association of Artists not wanting to be pelted by objects by stupid music fans. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, gotta say, the AI overlord had had some nice turns of phrase there. You know, credit where credit is due. I, I thought that, uh, you know, a little, little bit of AP English fairy dust on that PSA. Yeah, that, yeah, that was actually pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's pretty real. Just, out of curiosity, like, what are your thoughts about like the AI revolution? I feel like as a as an investor, as an entrepreneur, like you're you're following the trends, you're seeing what ChatGPT and AI is doing in business. What, what do you think of all this? You know, it is it is so seismic on so many levels. Um, to be able to ask AI to write you a promo for a show, um, does that obviate the need for an employee? Is that terrifying? I have seen AI apps. I've been invited into some venture capital meetings recently where I, I'm not kidding. Like, and I've signed Confi, so I can't say anything. I'm obviously going to not mention names. I am not kidding when I tell you that you can sit down with certain AI apps and create things that are well-produced hit songs. Um, in like, you know, two minutes, produce an album in an hour and a half. It's blurring the lines between the creator and the consumer. Uh, in academia, kids just, they write papers, they write their English and philosophy papers. So I don't want to be like the Luddites or Luddites or however the hell you pronounce it correctly, who reject technology and run for the hills every time there's progress, meaningful progress, um, but I hate when we regulate things too much. But this may mm. be the first time in my life, my multi-decade long life, and I'm certainly not disclosing how old I am here. Um, I'm 53. Um, you know, uh, this may be the first freaking time that I actually think regulation, like we need it. And we, we may need it badly. I mean, when Elon Musk sort of says, forget, forget all these other risks we talk about, AI has the, the potential to turn against us in vicious ways. I see it. Plus, like, honestly, as a guy, you know, I hate referring to myself as an artist. It's almost pretentious. But like, as a guy who creates, you know, creative content, to sit there in a meeting and see a song be churned out by a machine in like 45 seconds is one of the most awful, sickening feelings. So I don't even, Ryan, I don't know what the hell to make of it. I don't, I hope that just like 
as the internet gathered steam when people incorrectly prognosticated that it would kill jobs. I hope that people are incorrectly prognosticating that it will kill jobs this time like last time. But man, I mean, artwork. <laughs> I, I just did a single. I'll, I'll, I'll finish my, my comments here. I, I, I've produced a couple new tunes lately. Um, I stayed up till two in the morning. I have my five AI apps. Man, um, like I came up with some really cool artwork. I'll show you guys. I'll put up on the screen next time, whatever. It's really, it looks good. It's professional. And that means that there are some graphic artists who normally would do this for me might not get that work. Um, so I'm personally deeply hoping that these IP lawsuits against these entities succeed in arguing that the, the image generators are amalgamating a series of things yeah, um, created day, by yeah. others. Yeah, yeah. And, and in a sense, violating copyright law. I may not be using the right word, Ryan, but violating copyright laws. Um, I actually hope that some of that litigation puts a, 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 has a moderating effect on the explosion of all this. I, man, it just, I don't know what to say. It terrifies the living hell out of me. I don't, that's not much of an answer, but it just terrifies the hell out of me. There's a lot that you said that was shocking there. I think top on the list of all the things that you said was the fact that you're 53. I, I producer <laughs> Lawrence jaw dropped, <laughs> and now you're and now you're now you're literally highlighting my age. You know this is ageism. I don't feel safe. I, I want to talk to the I want to talk to personnel. I want to talk to the producer. I mean, you're absolutely welcome to file an <laughs> HR complaint, but you do need to give me your moisturizer routine. That's a you know what? Um, this is this. I did not think this would be this hard on me, but it, clearly it is. It's fine. Listen, I invited. I should have kept my mouth shut. Should have kept my mouth. Shut. I, I, I no. In all seriousness, though, we love. I'm not hearing... 53. I'm 5.3 decades old. Okay, let's go. be very let's be very careful about how we say this. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know. Level fifty three. It's yeah, a, you know, got your it. your uh, your experience <laughs> right. points are getting higher and higher. <laughs> right. But in all seriousness, we love hearing your perspective on a lot of different topics, and that was probably the number one thing I was most excited about when knowing we were going to have you as a co host. Is I knew I could ask you about like a wide range of things, and you'd have some cool perspective, drawing on your work as an investor in business, or in your work as a musician and as a creative professional. Like, there's a lot we could get you to weigh in on. And so, in preparation for your co-hosting gig, Gideon, <laughs> we had asked you, "Hey," and I do this with all the co-hosts, by the way. I say, you know, send me a couple topics that you might want to talk about during the show that we can go to you on. And normally, the co-host will dutifully send. One or two things, oh, something that's going on in the news, or this is something I like talking about. This is my go-to thing that if I have to talk about something at a cocktail party, this is what I talk about. Gideon King, viewers and listeners, like, just sent me, like, dozens of topics. Just just littering my inbox with all these really amazing, thought-provoking topics across like business and music and philosophy and i had no way of sifting through all of this to figure out okay what thing do we want to talk to gideon about because any one of these things uh would be excellent topics so what i've done is i took some of gideon's suggestions that he emailed me and we put them on uh, the viewers here can see <laughs> the wheel of gideon king okay. topics all right here we go and so what we're going to do before we go to break here real quick and then talk to our guest, Emily Cameron, is we're going to spin the wheel of Gideon King topics and whatever it lands on, we're going to have you talk about that thing. And then when we bring you on again for subsequent shows, we can spin the wheel again, add more topics to it. So we're going to let the wheel decide where what part of your expertise we want to draw from. All right, here we go. Let's spin the wheel. 
wow, this actually works. Look at this. And the wheel landed on technology. How should we use technology in the studio? What does sounding real mean anymore? The funny thing is that modern sonic tools sound dated much more quickly than mere traditional instrumentation. Boy, how prescient was that topic that you just, uh, that the wheel just gave us in light of everything that you just said about AI? I mean, what does technology mean to you in this in the studio experience, Gideon? Like, are, were you are you sort of like an old school musician? Like, when Gideon King and City Blog go into the studio, are you recording real instruments or are you using a we, lot of technology? Man, we Ryan, we use it all. I am a massive fan of exploring, trying to use every toy, every brand new toy. Um, you know, you know, pounding the the, the studio table and saying real instruments are the only way and real strings that's just nonsense okay um the only comment that i would make is that if you listen to stevie wonder or the talking heads man even some of calvin harris's stuff from a few years ago um you know you two the stuff that emanates from the toys you know, I'll give you an example. Um, ivory software or pigments. These are these are software programs you use in the studio. Man, they give you an unbelievable palette of sonic tools. The only frightening thing about those things is when you write a song, you want it to be lasting, right? Everybody says, you know, what do you want? You want to write a song that's timeless. Who the hell doesn't say that, right? But I'm finding that the toys, they get supplanted by other toys and therefore almost de facto become dated. When new toys come around and supplant the old toys, at some sort of intrinsic level, the old toys are by definition dated because of their supplantation. I don't know if there's such a word as supplantation, but because they've been supplanted, okay? And yet, amazingly, amazingly, piano, strings, an upright bass, even a good electric bass, those things last through time. Um, and my only sort of, I wouldn't say advice, but my only sort of cautionary thinking on this is that be careful how hip you want to be in using the new tools from Ableton and Pigments and Ivory and Arturia and all the shit I have in my studio, which I use all the time. So I'm, I'm by the way, a hypocrite as I say this, but like, <laughs> but, 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 but be careful because you may wake up like literally three years later and be like, oh my God. That's like unbelievably dated already what I wrote. And so what I'm trying to do is somehow squeeze those technological devices into creating things that are so unique and almost anomalous and unidentifiable that they don't just become dated. The best Stevie Wonder songs, let's be honest, sound a little dated because he was using the Wurlitzer and he was using the, you know, the Rhodes. And you're, you're, you're almost like you love Stevie, but you're thinking like, boy, that, that does sound a little dated. And those were the toys, just as these are the toys. So I struggle with it. We just did a song the other day, man, I'll send it to you guys, which is all toys. So maybe it's going to be dated in like, you know, 15 minutes. I have no idea. But like, my point is, we should wrestle with this when we write music because there is actually nothing dated about Beethoven. And there is actually nothing dated about John Coltrane. But there is about those toys and some Stevie songs. Just, just something, I don't have any answers. I'm just, yeah. I'm just highlighting the tension. That's all. I 
I'm with you on it. The tension is there and I'm torn on it. I generally tend to subscribe to the view that I want artists to have as many toys as possible. The yeah, more totally. things you give artists to create with, the cooler the stuff that they create. And it's totally. and you know, we just want to ha- have them have more stuff. But I do and God, I'm going to sound so old and crusty when I say this, but <laughs> I do lament some of what we've lost in some recordings that, you know, even came out before I was born that the experience that was created in that recording can never happen again because of the way we make music now. I mean, my my favorite master recording that's, you know, the favorite composition that's ever been fixed onto a recording is Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Oh, hell yeah. And, you know, not because it was perfectly recorded, right? It's, you know, the sound is raw and it's grungy and like the right. instruments aren't perfectly in tune totally. and they don't nail every note. But like there's certain bits of humanity in there that, you know, technology would have taken away. Like when, uh, and God, her name's escaping me, but the woman who sang with Mick Jagger on that song, maybe Lauren oh, can yeah. look it up. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There, there's one part in that song uh, after like, like toward the bridge where she's just singing her ass off, like yeah, yeah. hitting. And at one point she hits this like really loud screaming note and you just hear Mick Jagger way off on the mic just go, whoa. <laughs> like it wasn't meant to be recorded but it's amazing and if that was done in like a modern studio that would have never happened right they would have taken out the mick jagger whoa and And that's sad and what you're in search of in my opinion based upon what you just said is you're trying to get humanity out of the expression and when you go into see what that humanity that you're hearing is the air between the instrument and the mic it is it's analog it's tape it's and now when you go right into the box using an expression and everything is di direct in and there's Mm. no air the question is is there just sort of this fading level of humanity in what we're producing it's quantized for example right? Like stuff is quantized. You play it to a click track. And so, you know, man, this is a tough problem. The one thing is you don't want to just reject stuff because the truth is when my son and his friends go hear a concert, okay, which is surprising that I have a son who's 22 because I'm only 33 years old. But when, I mean, 33. Babies having babies. (laughs) Exactly. Good point. And so like when he goes, man, he's seeing someone up there with a laptop, okay? Um, And so like, I can't reject that. So I'm not going to reject the toys, but there is a, there's a, that sucking sound you hear is often the humanity going out of modern production. And so like, I don't know, man, you know, maybe we're old, you know, I mean, maybe we're old. Love to get our uh, guest's perspective on this in the next segment as somebody who uh, works for the management company that manages a lot of not only new modern artists, but a lot of the classic artists that, you know, we might associate with traditional recording, like a Nick Cave, for example. Yeah, yeah, totally. Emily Cameron's probably got a lot to say on this. We're going to find out after the break. Don't go anywhere. We're back in two here on Break the Business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. 
Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. I am loving the positive feedback we're getting on the Gideon King Will of Topics. We'll definitely have to do that again. Ryan Corelli here with co-host Gideon King here on Break the Business. Thank you for checking us out wherever you're checking us out, whether it's on podcast platforms, streaming platforms, or Sirius XM 145, much love to Slam Radio. Wherever you are taking in this program, we are just glad that you are. All right, Gideon, let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week. She is a music manager and a partner at ATC, a global management firm whose artist roster includes Haley Kiyoko, Nick Cave, Dakota, and The Hives. You can check out our guest's work on Instagram and Twitter by following at ATC Management. We are happy to welcome Emily Cameron on to Break the Business. Hi, Emily. Hi, how are you? We are so, so happy to be here with you. We are doing great. We're having a blast talking about a lot of kind of interesting topics in music that is going on right now that I'm sure you might have some perspective on. First, Mm -hmm. everybody's throwing crap at artists at concerts. I don't know. We don't know why this is happening. Like Harry Styles got hit. Pink got hit with her mother's ashes. Is this something that any of your clients are concerned with right now? Like, why do you think this is happening so much lately? I think actually quite a lot of people are because it seems to be becoming a little bit of a trend, slightly worryingly. Uh, Luckily, it's not anything that's happened to any of my clients, but uh, they definitely, I think everyone has a story about something wild that's happened to them on stage, whether it's been some, you know, someone grabbing them or saying certain things to them. I know there was, uh, I mean, Ice Spice isn't a client of mine, but I recently saw a viral video of um, someone making a lot of inappropriate comments to her as she was up on stage. I think that happens quite a lot too. Um, So yeah, luckily we haven't come across that yet, but um, I'm sure we will at some point in the future. Well, I want to talk to you to start things off uh, about how you got started in the industry because your your origin story uh, getting into the biz is kind of an interesting one. It's not what I've heard before that you basically got your first big gig in the music industry because of martial arts. Uh, can you tell us about this? Yes. So, uh, well, I'd, I'd always wanted to be in music ever since I was um, 
a child before I could talk. I think I was singing and um, I was kind of like frantically applying for positions and, you know, you're, you're no more than just a face on a screen to most of these people. And, you know, I didn't have any family in the business. And at the same time, I was also doing teaching uh, kickboxing and boxing. Um, and I was teaching in the gym right next door to Sony Music Publishing, which I had no idea about because I knew a lot about music growing up and I went to a music school, but we were never, we were taught how to put on a show, but not necessarily what a publisher does, what a music producer does or anything like that. So I was in the gym one day, it was kind of like a, a they had a professional uh, kind of boxing ring and there was sparring there. And uh, Guy Moot, who is now CEO of Warner Chapel Music Publishing, was running Sony Music Publishing at the time. And um, I'd said to someone in the gym, you know, gosh, I'm having a really hard time. I'm desperately applying for these internships and just don't seem to get anything back. How can I get my foot in the door? And he said, hang on a minute. He said, I think one of the guys who trains here is uh, one of the guys who runs Sony Music Publishing do you want me to put you in contact so obviously i was like yes yes absolutely so um it also turned out yeah that guy is um yeah basically a black belt and very very into martial arts so not only did we bond over that but that was actually what got my um my foot in the door because that was i guess what made me more than just a, a name on a screen with a, a cv like everyone else so yeah so we kind of mutually bonded over that, and uh, that's what got me in. I've always heard stories about people finding jobs, not because of what college they went to or or what's on their resume, but because they have some hobby or some interest that messes with the person that is potentially offering them an opportunity. I've heard it in the martial arts space, or maybe you're both into uh, pickleball or video games or something like that. And so I think that's the argument for as a creative professional or any kind of professional to have interests outside of the industry that you're trying to get into, because you never know when one of those hobbies, whenever, whenever one of those extracurricular activities might mesh with somebody who could be giving you an opportunity and you could kickbox your way into the music business, uh, which I just love the idea of this. Uh, Gideon is a, I mean, is this something that you've ever come across either in the music or in the business side, like I mean, having be, uh, some kind of outside interest that yeah. helped create an opportunity for you? Yeah, I mean, well, it's not only create an opportunity for me, music, of course, being a jazz guitar player was what got me an interview. I was clearly unqualified to do what I got an interview to do, but because I said I played jazz guitar, the guy was a jazz head, and so he invited me in, and we talked about jazz. Also, when I, when I hire people, I mean, to be honest, I really hire people based upon their hobbies and what they're good at much more than where they went to school and what their GPA is. Um, so the, the um, finding, finding uh, common ground and, and pe people's personal habits, you know, like for example, if you do martial arts, there's a certain level of discipline associated with that. Like it's just a fact that you have chosen to do something that is imbued with a, a level of discipline. It means there's something about you that's going to get shit done. And so, um, you know, uh, that, that, that alone, personal habits, you know, very important. Totally. And I, I think also it's, 
you know, when you connect with the, whether it's an artist, a producer in a studio setting, I mean, often you're thrown into these kind of really intimate situations with people in a very short space of time. And I think, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, I mean, going into a, a session with someone, joining a session with someone that you've never met before, it's kind of like going on a blind date naked. I mean, you're very exposed. Everyone's kind of got all this like raw feeling and raw emotion out there. And I think anything that you have that you can kind of bond with someone over that kind of provides you with like a mutual understanding of one another, you know, how, what, why you got into it, how you got into it, anything like that is, um, is super important. Emily, you've spoken a lot on the subject of artist compensation. You've, you, you know, you're definitely what we would call an artist rights advocate, which means you uh, have a place in our hearts here at Break the Business. You've talked a lot about, you know, the disparities that seem to exist in compensation for creative professionals and the need for perhaps policies that can address that. Can you give us some examples of where you're seeing that compensation disparity most starkly? We've talked in the past and a few weeks ago about how songwriters, for example, might not be seeing the uh, compensation that they could potentially get in a different policy landscape. But where are you seeing this disparity most prevalent? Um, I mean, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's always easy to point, you know, immediately to the streaming giants and, and don't get me wrong, they're not, uh, they're not the, uh, the heroes here by any means. But I mean, I think the, the biggest issue is with the labels. I mean, I think right now it's also the way that the money is spread out, right? I mean, I literally, right before we got on, have been, uh, you know, dealing with, um, you know, a, a deal where, you know, they're uh, refusing to give uh, the writer who contributed a huge amount to the record any fee or any point, particularly for songwriters, because with producers, you know, at the very least, you are getting a couple of master points. You're usually getting a fee, you know, you're getting something up front. As a songwriter, I mean, streaming is bringing in nothing and, you know, streaming giants make a huge amount of money um, you know, anytime a song goes into dispute, for example, and then there's a split discrepancy, no one gets paid out. If the artist doesn't sign, and every single artist doesn't sign um, a letter of direction, no one gets paid out. You know, I mean, there's a lot of ways that kind of, or tricks rather, that labels have to make it really, really difficult to get paid. Um, and I think there's also just such a discrepancy in where the money is spread out. For example, um, you know, I know there's a major label who just spent $300,000 um, uh, on a song that's done absolutely nothing because it went viral on TikTok. But yet they absolutely could never in a million years justify giving $1,000 to a struggling songwriter who can't pay their rent. You know, um, there's been other situations I, I remember having with um, with a, an artist on a major label, um, you know, where we couldn't get any fee for the rights approved, but they then spent over a million dollars on the music video. You know, so there's a there's there's a huge imbalance somewhere, you know, and it's it's not that they can't, it's that they don't want to. Uh, because, you know, they've actually never been making more money than they are right now, and it, it benefits them hugely to um, kind of basically just say no, because they have the power to do so. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, writers and artists and producers, 
or not, not so much artists rather, because the artists are obviously getting a bigger piece of the pie and they're seeing money elsewhere. They're seeing money in branding and merch and ticket sales. Writers and producers aren't seeing any of that, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, really any, any fee is something and it's a standard that I think a lot of managers are trying to set, but my God, is it, I mean, it's put, it's, the pushback is real. Um, I mean, I don't think I've ever, you know, asked for a fee for a writer or, a, you know, even one point for a writer um, that's ever not had pushback. Wow. So it's hard for sure. You know, it's, it's the history. It's like bad deals make bad history. And those early days when Spotify agreed, and they, of course, they couldn't project in the future. I'm not even disparaging Spotify, but when they agreed to give that big a piece to the labels for non-independent artists was the day that the entire, wasn't a day, it was a, a series of deals over time, but was the day that the entire artist economy was subverted, perverted, whatever the right w word is. And we are, you know, I, Emily, I'm an investor and my partners and I own, um, something called Audio Mac, which is one of the biggest hip hop streaming. Yes. So you, you, know, you know, you know, Mac, right, right. So that's, uh, you know, and, and it, it's, and, and, you know, we, we're mostly independent or lar largely independent artists, but we also have content that we pay for. And this has given me a glimpse into how those deals and the amount of money that the labels are still getting from the big pipes like Spotify, Deezer, you name the DSP. This is a a, what's the expression? The elephant in the room? Right. This is the elephant in the room mm. economically, and it is choking off um, oxygen to artists and actually a whole community and ecosystem. But I, listen, I don't want to hijack answers to your questions. I'm, 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 just, I'm just adding this on as a corollary yeah, to what you guys are doing. Because yeah. I, in, bu in building Audiomack, it is once a week that I get on the phone with the CEO and we bang our heads against the wall about this problem and we have not figured it out and we have not conquered it. I just don't see an industry from where, you know, where I'm sitting as an entertainment lawyer. I, for the lion's share of musicians, I don't see an industry where there's enough money to be made for the streaming service, a label and the recording artist and the songwriters to all make a decent living on the vast majority of music that gets produced, especially when you look at the way that a lot of record deals are structured. Emily, as you were kind of talking about your experiences with getting artists paid, I was just having flashbacks to some of my more nightmarish record label negotiations where you'll get a record deal that says that the artist is going to get like a 15% royalty or 17% royalty, which is the same kind of similar percentage to what they would have gotten like 30 years ago when music was sold as CDs, except why is the artist only getting the same 17% royalty? There's no manufacturing cost to the label. It's There's a lot more money being made. You don't need to only give the artist 15%. It could be something more like 50-50. But labels will do that just because they have the market power. And so when you think about what 15% means to an artist, you know, Spotify is paying something like five, you know, six tenths of a cent per stream or five tenths of a cent per stream. Yeah, I wish. Then you have to <laughs> say 15% of five tenths of a cent per stream. 
how many streams does an artist get to need to repay, say, a $50,000 advance or $50,000 in recording costs? And the answer is they will never recoup that because you're talking about fractions of fractions of a cent because the record label is coming in and taking your fun-sized Spotify royalty and making it microscopic. And like, if the label is involved, there's just not enough money for everybody to make. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think it's it's the way it's shared um, is it's still really outdated. You know, I mean, I, I think that tech is kind of like somewhere over here and the music is like over here just struggling to catch up, you know, but, you know, it's also very convenient uh, for the labels to, to not be up to date on, you know, all the latest technology. I mean, for yeah. example, I mean, there's you know, I mean, I think obviously a big movement now, um, you know, to move to independent streaming companies. I mean, you have companies like uh, STEM, for example, mm. um, who, you know, I mean, they did Brent Fires' album that did amazingly last year. They did Giveon, they have Frank Ocean, you know. I mean, I think that that is definitely a move. Um, and, you know, for, for an artist that I work on, um, you know, we've had a number of, major label interests um and yet we've decided to still stick to the independent route because we know that going into a major label we're going to get a far better deal and be able to go in and get that 50 50 split um get that you know that um that power that and that creative control as well only once she's been developed because labels aren't really doing artist development in the same way anymore i think artist development now falls on a manager um and you have to wait until you have the uh, the social media following the the TikTok following the you know what i mean i mean all, all of those things um you basically have to take yourself viral before anyone else in the label will commit to giving you a fair deal gosh that is one of my least favorite uh, developments that we've seen in the modern music industry, just the, mm. the destruction of what we used to call in the old days, A and R, right. The, uh, the A and R department, the idea that like, mm -hmm. or artist development or like that labels would actually send people into clubs looking for the next big artist and then would sign that artist to a demo deal and actually work with that artist and build them up into something like that's done right you don't even and you know you know this like from your work emily like you you your client isn't even going to get signed to the label unless they're a turnkey property unless they already have the social media following unless they already have the music done and then the label is just going to come and like use your finished product and then once you get signed to the label the label's not going to push on a record until it goes viral on TikTok. They're going to tell that artist, oh, go make your song viral on TikTok, and then we'll put it out there. Then we'll push it. And, you know, we all know from the way that the TikTok algorithm works is that none of us know how the TikTok algorithm works. And we don't, you know, it, going viral is a crapshoot. And so there are, I mean, we, we see, I see one of these once a week, I feel like, of an artist who will just say on TikTok, please make my song go viral fans or my label's never going to release this record like, that's what we're giving a label 87 cents on the dollar for you know to to just do, for have the artist and the manager do all the work yep a hundred percent a hundred percent and and it also it, it doesn't actually you know the tiktok thing it's it's what's confusing to me is that it doesn't actually really translate to anything 
um, in terms of, you know, what the song does and how much money the song makes, you know what I mean? I mean, yes, it can go viral on TikTok, um, you know, that doesn't mean anything for the writers and producers, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're not getting paid for, for any of that. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, I, sorry, go ahead. No, please finish. I actually have a, a question for you, but please finish. Notice how polite I'm being. Yeah, no, I, given, I mean, given, given Emily's martial arts background, notice how polite I'm being. Smart, yeah. Like, I'm downright obsequious at this point. Yeah, self-preservation. <laughs> I, yeah. I admire that. I don't yeah. want to be hurt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it definitely, um, I'd say I'd say that the, way, the way it comes in handy most is remaining calm because I think, um, you know, you're often put in positions where, you know, it's... Um, kind of it's it's almost like a, a thug like mafia mentality of all right you know we're gonna bully you and use all our power until you kind of like give in you know and i think it's for, for remaining calm in those situations but um yeah i mean it it doesn't make sense and i think you know for, for an artist it's, it's also like you said who dictates the algorithm a bunch of 12 year olds you know, um, the, those are those are the tastemakers of today. And I think that, you know, it's it's uh, it's a real shame. Yeah. See, 30 years ago, uh, terrestrial radio decided who was a hit. Now it's uh, Charlie D'Amelio. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And we've we've all held her <laughs> album. Oh, no. Dix, well, Dixie had the album. Actually. Dixie had. Of course. You, you got to know your D'Amelio's. Come on. <laughs> Gideon, you had a question. <laughs> So, I mean, um, I have a couple lines of question. I guess I, I'll fire them off really quickly. Sync. Um, you know, I, I, I said to Ryan um, previously, I said, you know, a, a good friend of mine who's a world famous producer, actually his name's David Kahn, and he produced, you know, Paul McCartney and James Brown and the Bengals and MTV Unplugged. And he's just a really smart, insightful, thoughtful guy. He'd be a wonderful guy to have on this show, come to think of it. Um, and... He said to me, Sync is the new radio. Um, and I wonder as a manager with ever expanding duties, because, you know, music managers now, mm -hmm. it's social media. It's, it's, I mean, they have to manage all kinds of stuff that they didn't have to manage exactly 10 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder, um, you know, a lot of my friends say, well, you know, Sync is just a mafia. There's a few music supervisors that really matter if you want to make any money and so on. And obviously I run a band and I have some Sync experience myself. To what extent do you view it as your job as a manager of artists, if that's the right word to describe mm -hmm. what you do, to get them sync. And to what extent do you agree with this idea that sync is the new radio? And just, you know, as someone doing your job, what, what's, what is, what, how does sync figure into, you know, what you're thinking about when you wake up in the morning? Um, it's hugely important. I mean, I, I think, um, I think it's still different than radio. I think, you know, depending on the sync, it has more power than radio. Um, you know, it's also something that is an amazing income source if you're not published. Um, you know, I mean, if you're not yeah, published, yeah. you're getting yeah. all those fees directly, of course. So, you know, for my independent artist, sync is huge. Um, we, we work with, um, I've worked with a couple of outside sync companies and, you know, they can really bring in great money and great opportunities because, you know, way more people are hearing your music, you know, I mean, 
but mm. it depends on on how big that sink is. I mean, obviously, the goal is you want to get a Super Bowl commercial, you want to get a McDonald's right, sink, you want right. to get. I mean, I've I've got yeah, a of so, uh, but burger related song coming out next month for one of my artists. So I sent it to the sync company. I said, right, let's get this to McDonald's. Well, let's get it to Burger King. She's not published. So all of those fees she's getting directly. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, um, it's, it's huge. Um, it can obviously get your music out there to different, different audiences that may not have heard your music before you know i mean i think each um each artist you know where you know i have one artist from minnesota so she has a, a really big following in minnesota and in her hometown but a sync is gonna get someone you know maybe in mm. norway mm. to hear yeah. the song mm. you know yeah. um so it's definitely really really important um i think it it becomes when you sign a publishing deal, you know, you obviously relinquish those rights and those fees. Um, yeah. It's helping you recoup your deal for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is helpful. But, you know, once you sign a publishing deal, most of the time the publisher is seeing the majority of that money. Uh, there is one publisher that doesn't. Uh, Disney Music Publishing is the only, unless there's another one that I'm not aware of, but Disney mm -hmm. Music Publishing um, is a company that I have a client signed to and I'm a big fan of um, for the reason that, you know, I mean, that they um, allow work for hire, you know, so mm -hmm. you get all your things. Oh, wow. Um, which is, you know, pretty, pretty unique and special. Mm -hmm. Um, and for the writers that, you know, I mean, am I pushing for them all to get points and fees on every release? Absolutely. Uh, do we get points and fees on every release? Absolutely not. So, mm -hmm. you know, every, mm -hmm. every little helps. They've got families, you know what I mean? And, and yes, your, your publishing advance is, um, you know, is something, but what a lot of people forget is that that publishing advance, you know, no matter how high you get it, that's got to last you an entire year. It's got to last pay your rent. It's got to pay your studio rent, your studio equipment, your day to day, you know, I mean, and, um, things, these things aren't cheap, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of the time there's pressure put on, on people or on artists and writers and producers, you know, I'll oh, just, just do it for the opportunity because it'll open more doors and yeah, yeah. yes, in some cases that works, but you know, at the same time, it, you, you shouldn't have to work for free, um, in order for that to, you know, be, be the case to get an opportunity. Our guest is Emily Cameron. She's a music manager and partner at ATC Management. Find out more about our guest's work by following them on Instagram and Twitter at ATC Management. Emily, this has been a blast. I uh, just uh, I feel like we have found a kindred spirit in you as an artist advocate and as somebody who shares our healthy skepticism of the record label model. That's uh, you'll always have a, a fandom here at Break the Business. Before we let you go, Emily, we got one last question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I would say, um, oh, any last tips? I think keep pushing, keep pushing, never give up. I think that, you know, it takes a really, really long time. Uh, as they say, every overnight success is 10 years in the making. So, you know, no matter how much you see or people tell you, oh, it's your TikTok and oh, you've got to do this, never compromise your integrity. Um, if it doesn't feel right or if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. Um, 
don't go for quick cash grabs because it can hurt your career later down the line. I mean, I think that, you know, we're in a difficult climate for independent artists, but, you know, bigger picture is always really important. Um, I promise if you say no to something that doesn't seem right, something much better will come along two weeks later. I've just had this happen with an artist. We got offered something that seemed too good to be true, but it was something that really would have affected her long-term career and kind of slightly derailed the plan we had for her artist project. So we turned it down as hard as it was for the money. Um, and two weeks later, something amazing came along. So, you know, I would say the most important thing is, um, is keep going and, and fight. Don't, you know, don't, don't let labels or anyone, um, you know, anyone in a publisher or a label belittle you, you know, I think your, your art is important and it's a marathon, not a sprint. Our thanks to Emily Cameron. Uh, our thanks to our uh, very youthful-looking co-host, Gideon King. Find out more about his band by visiting GideonKingCityBlog.com. Thanks to producer Lauren. And, of course, our hearty thanks to all of our viewers and listeners. Thank you so much for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.